1: Boys and girls, two flit podcast on Friday, the 4th of November, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo blocked from, while also keeping your data safe with a Liberty Shield VPN. If you live in Spain and want to watch Match of the Day on BBC player, but get that pesky this content is not available in your location message. A Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever it is you want, and keeps your data safe. So go to libertyshield.com right now and use the code EPL25. That's EPL25 to get 25% at off at checkout. Uh, we're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Do also check out the EPL and Anfield Index shops, which are on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable to had Khalil Patel on this week. They revealed the team the podcast will be cheering on this season. And Khalil kicked up a fuss about who it was and went on a bit of a rant. So do check that one out. Check it out every week. Today was on before every single Premier League match week. And then there's the EPL Roundtable, which is on after after every Premier League match week. So you get your previews and your reviews with a tad predictable and the EPL Roundtable on top of my inane ramblings. Right, folks. We had European football last night in the Europa League. We had the last round of games. Trabzonspor one, Ferencváros nil, Feyenoord one, Lazio nil, Mitlian two, Sturm Graz nil, Monaco four, Red Star Belgrade one. A Kevin Volland hat trick in that one. Real Sociedad nil. Manchester United won, Alejandro Garnacho with the only goal of the game there. Sheriff Tiraspol won, Omonia nil. Olympiacos nil, nonce two. Good result there for nonce. Cuarabeg won, Freiburg won. Roma three, Ludegretz one. Roma were one nil down. Rick had scored. I, you, I, you love a fella called Rick. He has to be Brazilian, Rick. Let's see. Yes, he is a Brazilian. He is twenty-three. Rick Jonathan Lima Moreish, simply known as Rick. the The Brazilian single name is just tremendous when it's a Rick or a Fred or an Anthony. Like when it was Rivaldo or Ronaldo or Romario or Ronaldinho or Bebeto, uh, these were tremendous, but nothing in comparison to Rick and Fred and Artur. They generally just sound like a bunch of elfless going to the pub. Um, Zaniolo came off the bench, was the point of this, and won two penalties and then scored the third goal himself to give Roma a much-needed win. Uh, Bodo Glimt won PSV Eindhoven 2. Wren won Larnaca 1. Braga 2. Malmo 1. Arsenal 1. FC Zurich 0. Kieran Tierney with the only goal of the game. Uh, Dinamo Kiev nil, Fenerbahce 2. Union saint gilles 0, Union Berlin 1. And Real Betis 3, HJK Helsinki 0. So, Arsenal through to the round of 16. PSV into the knockout round where they will face one of the teams dropping in from the Champions League. Bodo Glimt, head for the Conference League, and FC Zurich are out. In Group B, Fenerbahce are through to the round of 16. Rennes will face a Champions League team. Larnica head into the Conference League and Dinamo Kiev are out. That's a very, very disappointing outcome for them. They really should be finishing above Larnica, though with everything going on, you would be heartless to criticise them in any way. Real Betis top Group C through to the round of 16. Roma finish second and will face the Champions League team. And if Mourinho got to play Barcelona, because we know his hatred, that would be wonderful. Uh, Ludegoretz will go through to the Conference League and HJK are out. Uh, Union Saint-Gilice through to the 16. Union Berlin into the knockout. Braga into the Conference League and Malmo go out. Real Sociedad, top group E. United finish second and will face a Champions League team. Sheriff Tiraspol go into the Conference League and Omonia go out. Feyenoord, top Group F. All four teams in Group F finishing with eight points. But Feyenoord's goal difference and head-to-head record with Mityljand put them through in top spot. Mityljand finish second. They go into the knockout phase and then Lazio drop into the Conference League while Sturmgratz can feel very unfortunate that it is them on the same number of points as the team that tops the group who find their way out. Freiburg, top Group G, they're in the 16. Nantes into the knockout round. Quarabeg into the Conference League and Olympiacos, disastrous season for them in Europe. They're done. And then finally, Ferencvaros, top Group H, Monaco will play a Champions League team. Trabzonspor go to the Conference League. And Red Star Belgrade are finished in Europe for the year. In the Conference League last night then, RFS nil Fiorentina 3. Istanbul, I've said that, I think, three weeks in a row now. Istanbul, Bezhikshar, uh 3 hearts 1. Apollon won Vaduz nil. Zalgiris won Slovan Bratislava two. Ghent four. Molda nil. Azad Alkmaar two. Dnipro one. Jurgarden 1, Shamrock Rovers nil. Cluj won Balkani nil. Slavia Prague won Sivispor one. Pionic won Basel two. Cologne 2, Nice 2. Beersheva 4, Austria-Vienna 0. Nil. Steaua Bucharest 0, West Ham United 3. Pablo Fornals with 2. And what's being credited as an own goal for the third, but Mubama scored that goal. Young Divin Mubama scored that goal. It's his header. It hits a defender. I think it's going in anyway. I think that's really unfair if that goal is taken off him. Eighteen-year-old who's been at West Ham since he was a child gets his first big moment, and they're trying to take it away from him. Uh, it was really good to see West Ham last night playing a number of young players. Um, young Oliver Scars really impressed as a left wing back. Kid's only sixteen. Huge, huge uh, future ahead of him. Connor Coventry, good to see him getting some minutes. Mubama, obviously, starting up front. And then you had Harrison Ashby, Kamari Simon-Sire, Keenan Forsen, Freddie Potts, and Kalen Casey, all getting opportunities. That's really good for Moyes to give those players the opportunity. Also interesting to see that he's continuing to roll with this back three. So hopefully it's something he's going to look at now that he's everybody fit. Agard looked really good again last night, and I really want to see Tilo Carrera, Kurt Zuma, and Agard as a back three in front of Ariola. Ideally, with Corne as a left wing back, Rice and Flynn Downs for now, but he—that'll be one position you'd look to upgrade as the double pivot. Johnson's probably the best option at right wing back now, but that'd be a position I'd look to upgrade as well. And then Paqueta behind Bowen and Scamacca. That's what I really want to see Moyes try for a couple of games. I think they could have great success. Even looking at that West Ham bench last night. Now, Darren Randolph is in his late 30s, so forget him. But you've got Christian Hagee. You've got Michael Forbes, you've got Regan Clayton and Lewis Orford all there on the bench last night, all young players. So is really giving an opportunity to these younger players in this game, letting them know what it's like to be part of a travelling group for a big European game. And even though it was it was a meaningless game for West Ham, they were already through, you're still going to face Stoi Bucharest. You're still going to face a team with a real history to them. A team that remember has won the European cup in their past life before all the messing and political nonsense started, this team won the European cup and have had some of the greatest players the game has seen in the likes of Georgie Haji. So I think this was a big deal. I think it was a big deal. And, uh, it was a big occasion for those players in the national arena in Romania. I'm not sure what the attendance was last night, but that's a big, proper stadium. Holds 55,000, and it's a very, very impressive structure. So, credit to Moyes. Even the players that didn't get on will take a lot from that game. Um, Silkberg nil, Anderlecht 2. Big win there for Anderlecht. Lech Poznan 3, Villarreal nil. Villarreal had 73% of the ball and more shots and yet lost 3-0. And Partizan won, Slovakia won. That is all of the games. The tables look as follows. Group A, uh, Istanbul, Besiktir, they're through. Fiorentina will face one of the teams dropping in from the Europa League. Hearts and Orifes are out. West Ham, straight through to the round of 16. Anderlecht will meet a Europa League drop-in. Siltberg and Stoia, they're gone. Villarreal, round of 16. Lech Poznan will face one of the teams dropping in. And Beersheva and Austria-Vienna are out. Nice, straight through. Partizan will await a Europa League team. Cologne and Slovakia are out. A's at Alkmaar, round of 16. Dnipro, waiting on a Europa League team. Apollon and Vaduz, gone. Uh, Garden straight through Ghent knockout round to play a Europa League team molda and Shamrock Rovers go out little moment for Shamrock Rovers they did themselves proud in this group I know they didn't win a game but they did get two draws they only scored one goal but they only conceded ten and I know ten ga- goals in six games is a lot but it's not like they got absolutely walloped in these games. If we look at their results, they drew 0-0 at home with Zuregarden, They lost 3-0 away to Ghent. They lost 3-0 away to Molde. They lost 2-0 at home to Molde. They drew at home with Ghent. And then they drew away... i they lost one nil away to Jure Garden. So against Zuregarden, who topped the group, remember... They only lost 1-0 in, in aggregate. That's that's decent. We'll take that because Irish football has a long way to go. And these teams have much bigger budgets. And look, two points and a minus nine goal differential. That's much better than Rangers did. That's all we're, we're, we're pacing this on. Much better than Rangers did. Uh, Group G, Civisport top. They're through to the round of 16. Cluj into the knockouts. Slavia Prague and Balkani go out. Slovan Bratislava finish top of Group H. They go through. Basel will face the Europa League team. Punic and Zalgiris, out you go. Nobody wants to see you anymore. And that is that. That is Europe last night. And moving forward, we are going to have, I think, a really strong Europa League, a really strong Champions League. The Conference League, I think West Ham right now have to be looked at as the favourites to win it. Now, Fiorentina will be tough. Lazio will be tough. But outside of them, I think they can win this competition. And that would be a great achievement for West Ham to win European silverware. I know it's the Conference League and I know people will minimise it, but it's West Ham. Like, for all the... The talk of West Ham and what a great history they have as a football club. Those fans have been starved of success. They've never won the top flight of English football. The highest they've ever finished was third in 1986. They've won the championship twice in '58 and in '81. They finished runner-up three times and won the playoffs twice. They won the Southern League First Division in 1913. The Western Football League in 1907. They are three times winners of the FA Cup, 64, 75, and 80. They've finished runner-up in the League Cup twice. They won the Charity Shield once. The Football League War Cup in 1940. The Southern... Floodlit Cup. I mean, you're really struggling for significant honours when you've got this in. 1956, they won that. They were runners-up in 1960. Uh, They won the London Challenge Cup nine times, the last time in 1969. The Essex Professional Cup three times, last time 1959. And they finished as runners-up in the London Charity Cup in 1902. Uh, During the war, they won the London Combination and finished runner-up in a few other bits and pieces. Before they were West Ham, when they were Thames Ironworks FC, they won the Southern League Division II in 1989. They won the European Cup Winners' Cup, which this is sort of the modern-day replacement for that. Uh, They won that in 1965. So think of that run for West Ham. They win the FA Cup in 64, the Cup Winners' Cup in 65, and then they won the World Cup in 66. So that's a great three-year stretch. I mean, West Ham's greatest achievement is having as many players as they did in England's World Cup. That's that's it. That's one of the things the club has that nobody can take away from them. But in terms of real honours, like real top-end honours, you're looking at one Cup Winners' Cup and three FA Cups. And that's it. And the last thing they won of note was that FA Cup in 1980. It's been 42 years. It'll be 43 years by May when the final of that comes round. So for me, I will be delighted if West Ham go on and win it because no group of fans should have to wait that long to see their team win something at a big club like West Ham. And West Ham are a big club. I'm not having any arguments to the contrary. They're a big club. Plus, I'd like to see Moyes finally get some silverware because right now it doesn't make pretty reading. He won the Football League Second Division, which is the equivalent of League One, in 2000. He was an FA Cup runner-up at West Ham. And he won the Charity Shield with United in 2013. Off a league title he didn't win because he wasn't there. I'd like to see Moyes get his hands on some real silverware. So I'm back in West Ham to win the Conference League. Um, One thing I'm not backing is FIFA ever. Ever. FIFA tells all competing nations to focus on football in Qatar. How dare they? I just, I can't get over the way FIFA are carrying on right now. And... There are so many issues with this World Cup and so many issues with the treatment of people in Qatar, not just from the view of the migrant workers who were building the stadiums and treated as if they were animals, Um, but the treatment of LGBT members is, is horrendous, absolutely horrendous. I read a story. I think it was in iNews yesterday. And honest to God, I couldn't sleep last night. It was just horrific. Um, The timing of the World Cup is obviously all wrong. And the amount of injuries that are ongoing is all wrong. But just from a a moral point of view, I I just can't get on board with Qatar hosting a World Cup. I am going to watch it. I am going to talk about it because that's my job is to talk about football and that's the football that's going to be available. Otherwise it's going to be me here every day talking about knitting patterns and music and funny things that the dogs did that day. And I, I, while you might like that for a day or two, I think you might get a bit bored of me after that. Um, Jordan Henderson has spoken on the matter A lot gets put on players on should the World Cup be played there and everything that goes with that, but the players don't decide where the World Cup is played. FIFA decide. that there's a question for them to answer. For us as players, we just play football and try to have a voice in certain ways to help as much as we can. I mean, look, this fella's... Jordan Henderson is never going to say anything controversial, ever. Ever. He's just not. He's never going to say anything controversial. He's never going to be the one to lead on a topic like this. And it would be unfair to ask him to be. He's not a good enough public speaker to place that on him. Get, get someone with a bigger personality if you want to ask those questions. Somebody that cares less about their image maybe or cares less about, you know, all field potential endorsements or business opportunities. Don't ask him. Uh, speaking of injuries at the World Cup, uh, the Daily Mail have a list of players here um, who could be out, might be out, and so do sportsbrief.com. So I thought we'd use this one because it's kind of funny. So number one, these are players who might miss the World Cup. Paul Pogba, surgery on a damaged meniscus. It looks very much like Pogba will miss the World Cup. Uh, next up, N'Golo Kante might miss the World Cup. Engolo Kante is ruled out for four months. He had surgery on his hamstring. There is zero chance he's playing at the World Cup. Uh, next on the list is Rhys James. Also looks very, very likely that he is out. Rafa Varan. The way he reacted to the injury he got made me think he knew he was done. Angel Di Maria, he's got a hamstring injury. They're hopeful he'll be back. He might miss the first group game or two, but they're hopeful he will be back. He's almost certain to be included in the squad. Kyle Walker is recovering from groin surgery, and he is not expected back in time for the start of the competition but the hope is he can come back during the competition coming off a groin surgery into a tournament setting I think would be a disaster so I would be I think England would be foolish to include him in the squad Uh, Calvin Phillips he's got a shoulder injury the hope is that he'll be back in time so fingers crossed because England need him badly England need him badly. Whether he can get up to speed in time or not, I don't know, but he should almost certainly be in the squad. Uh, Paolo Dybala apparently is having a final scan today to see if there's a chance he can come back in time for at least the knockout phases. Uh, Next on this list is Alexander Isak. Thigh injury. The bigger issue here is that Sweden aren't in the World Cup. So... Him being injured doesn't matter either way to the World Cup. And the last player they've got then is Richarlison. He got hurt against Everton, and it, it looks unlikely that he's going to be back. It does look unlikely that he's going to be back. We've also seen Timo Werner ruled out in recent days. It looks like Ben Chilwell is a significant doubt for the competition, uh, which is a big, big blow. Uh, Pedro Neto and Diogo Jota, both big losses, I think, for Portugal. Neto, because of Jota, I think he would have been the one that would have taken Jota's spot. Uh, Miles Robinson of the USA, he will miss out with a torn Achilles. Jakub Motor of Poland and Brighton, he'll miss out with a torn ACL. Bubakar Kamara of Aston, excuse me, Aston Villa, he's out. He had knee surgery, very unlikely to play. Ginny Wijnaldum and Jesus Corona, Mexico and uh, Dutch and Mexican, obviously, they're both looking unlikely, uh, recovering from leg fractures. The hope had been that Ginny might be back. I do wonder if there's a chance he can play in the knockout phase, if Van Hal will include him, because he's so important to that squad, just from a, a leadership point of view. France has been fairly hard-hit with Pogba, Kante and Varane. That's three pretty much definite starters. But not necessarily three of the best options they had. Um, like, if Many is fit, then Chumeni and Camavinga is the midfield to play. Got loads of other options. France are loaded in every position, so they should be fine. But, uh, yeah, I thought the Alexander-Isak uh, inclusion was... Um, Was quite funny, frankly. Leeds must pay RB Leipzig 18 million after CAS rejects appeal over Jean Kevin Augustine transfer. Uh, And rightly so. Leeds should be ashamed of themselves. And it's just so stupid. So if you remember, Leeds were in the championship. Leeds took Augustine on loan with an obligation to buy if they were promoted. They agreed a five-year contract with the player and they agreed that the 21 million euros that they would pay, which is just over 18 million pounds, would be paid in three installments. He fell out of the rotation under Bielsa, fell out of favour, and then the pandemic happened. And the deadline, according to Leeds, was the end of the season, the thirty-first of March, or potentially the thirtieth of June. Obviously, football restarts and the season doesn't finish until after that, and Leeds think, well, we can wiggle our way out of this because we're you know, we hadn't been promoted by the end of his loan, and we didn't agree an extension. Well, Leipzig turned around and said, well, hang on a second. No, no. The agreement was that if you got promoted this season, you would buy him. Now, lost in this, of course, is the player. Leipzig don't want him anymore. And now, apparently, Leeds don't want him anymore. So what happens is, Leeds null and void their agreement. Bielsa said it was convenient for Augustine to return to Leipzig. Leeds could have just pushed ahead, took the player, paid for the player, and then, if they wanted, sold the player and probably gotten maybe not all of their money back, but at least some of it back. Instead, the player was allowed to become a free agent. Leipzig firm in their belief that this was their player Oh, sorry, was not their player anymore. Signed off on his contract with them being null and void. Because in their mind, he was now a Leeds player. And Leeds, being really stupid, also signed off on him becoming a free agent. And null and voided their agreement with him. So he just signed for nonce. Now he's at Basel in in Switzerland uh, and doing quite well and Leeds are now on the hook to pay 18 million for a player who doesn't play for them anymore who only played three games (laughs) three games I've talked about how I think Victor Orta has been given an incredibly free ride for doing what I think is a pretty disappointing job in his role. This, to me, this would be a sackable offence because he's the one that's made this decision. Jean-Kevin Augustine is not going to pull up any trees, but he's a good player and he could have helped Leeds. He really could have helped Leeds. Bielsa might not have used him, then you sell him, but if he could have turned Bielsa's mind, he could have been a valuable player. He was good for Leipzig. He was good for Leipzig. He scored 20 goals in 67 games as a winger. It's pretty decent. Gerard Piquet is retiring. Uh, Piquet will play his final game this weekend at the new Camp against Almeria. And then he will retire. Bizarre. That he's retiring mid-season. But. Probably the right decision. He's been washed for a couple of years. Uh, He seems to have fallen out. With a few people at Barcelona. A few important people. And. He likely doesn't want to tarnish. His reputation. And his legacy. So. He is retiring. This weekend. He still has. It should be pointed out. 18 months left on his contract. So Barca owe him quite a lot of money that he is walking away from. He's also done them some fairly big favours in recent years by agreeing to pay cuts and such. So there's probably deferred money there that Barcelona owe him. Now, PK has always been very highly regarded because of his ball-playing ability. As a defender, he was always a little bit overrated. I've seen some people claim he's the greatest Spanish defender of all time, that he's the greatest defender in Barcelona's history, that he's the greatest defender La Liga has seen, and none of those things are true. I mean, Carlos Puyol was a much better defender than him, much better. If we look at La Liga, even just in recent years, Diego Godin was a better defender than Gerard Pique. Pique's a better footballer, but Godin is a significantly better defender or was a significantly better defender. Um, But if we're talking about the best Spanish defenders and the best defenders in La Liga over the last 40 years, the conversation starts and ends with Manolo Sanchez, Fernando Hierro, Carlos Puyo, and Diego Godin. And that's it. You could maybe put Pepe in there, for a couple of years of his run at Real Madrid. You could maybe put Varane in for a brief period. But Pique's not in that conversation. Ramos isn't in that conversation. They're just claims that silly people on social media make. They're claims that people make when they judge defenders on how they are on the ball rather than how they are off the ball. And the biggest and most important part of defending is off the ball. So Manolo Sanchez... For me, him and Fernando Hierro are the top two. Then Puyol and Godin. That would be the four. So I wish PK the best in whatever he does. He's obviously got his business. He's a very busy man. Owns his own football club now. But let's not make him out to be something that he wasn't. Let's not pretend he's an all-time great centre-back. For his generation... And for the style of football, he's one of the best that was around for that time. But as a defender, never an elite defender. And in the all-time grand scale of things, he doesn't crack the top 30 centre-backs the game has seen. Let's not pretend that he does. Same goes for Hummels. Same goes for Ramos. Same goes for Boateng. All overrated because of on-ball ability or big hero moments. Um, We will do the gossip. And then we'll take a break and we'll be joined by Guy to run through this weekend's Premier League games. Atletico Madrid are willing to listen to offers for Joe Felix, who was a summer target for Manchester United. I don't believe that he was because he doesn't really fit at United at all. Uh, Tottenham have reached an agreement to sign Atalanta's Ukraine midfielder Ruslan Malinovsky in January. Ruslan Malinovsky is a good player. He doesn't really fit what Tottenham need, but, you know, Conte is Conte. Leicester have been scouting Lorenz French midfielder Enzo Lafitte as a possible replacement for Yuri Tielemans. I think that's a good move. He's a good player. And I think Leicester would make sense for him as his next step. I don't think he's ready to step up to an elite level team, but I think he could work well there. Mikel Arteta says he will look at everything regarding January enforcements as Arsenal aim to maintain a a title charge. Um Arteta wants to bring players of another level to Arsenal in January with Facundo Fercun- Torres and Mikhailo Mudrik among the list of targets. Don't know a whole lot about Torres because I don't watch a whole lot of MLS uh, but Mudrik obviously has been very impressive this season in the in the Champions League Um Torres was at Penarol, moved to Orlando City in January of this year. Club record fee of 9 million dollars, four-year young designated player contract with an option for a fifth. And appears to have had quite a good season, 10 caps already for Uruguay, likely to be in their World Cup squad. Um won the US Open Cup this season. Manchester United are confident. England forward, Marcus Rashford and Portugal right back. Diogo Dalot will extend their contracts at the club. They have the option to just force on another year anyway, uh, as they do with De Gea, Shaw and Cristiano. They're not picking up Cristiano's option, but I think they'll pick up De Gea's and Shaw's. Uh, Gerald Piquet will reportedly give up 30 million euros that he is owed by the Spanish club. I, that's the money moving forward. What about the money he's already deferred in the past, though? Um, Aston Villa have made Spain defender Pau Torres a top target after pointing Unai Emery. It is Football Insider, so as I always say, Wayne VC hasn't got a scooby, and it's likely nonsense. I don't think they could afford uh, Pau Torres anyway. West Ham have joined Southampton, Leicester, and Brentford in tracking Brazil winger Tete, who is on loan from Leon at Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, Leon are apparently in the process of turning that into a permanent move. Lionel Messi's new Paris Saint-Germain contract includes a clause that allows the Argentine forward to put international priorities before his clubs in the run-up to what is expected to be his last World Cup. So this is not a new Paris Saint-Germain contract. It's just his Paris Saint-Germain contract. Uh, Liverpool are preparing to open talks with... Roberto Firmino, again, it is Wayne Vesey. Again, it's almost certainly garbage. Anwar Algazi says he misses playing in England after leaving Aston Villa for PSV Eindhoven in the summer. That's a surprise to hear. Wolves hope to appoint Julian Lopotegi as a new manager on the 13th of November, the day after they play Arsenal in their final match before the World Cup break. So Steve Davis gets to ruin two more games for everybody. Great. Uh, Real Madrid have a contract proposal ready for Tony Cruz in case he decides to continue playing for one more season. I, I just don't understand why he would retire at 32, 33 when his game will allow him to play till he's 36, 37 easily. Maybe not for Real Madrid, but he could walk his way through MLS games. He could play in Serie A without a shadow of a doubt. Just seems like a strange one. Uh, Flamengo president Rodolfo Landim said rumours linking Manchester United and Portugal forward Cristiano to the Brazilian club are creative adding the 37 year old would be a lot of money to pay for a substitute. Rodolfo Landim, my kind of guy. Outstanding. Outstanding. Um, Don't think I mentioned that Brighton probably the best run club in the Premier League right now when you factor in all levels Brighton have agreed a deal for Facundo Buenanote, the young Argentine attacking midfielder from Rosario Central I think the fee is believed to be around 15 million this kid by all accounts is a star in the making oh it's a fee of 10 million potentially rising to around 15. Brighton doing what they do, getting in early. We've seen this with Caicedo. We've seen it with Enciso. And now, Note as the next one. I've only seen clips. The kid does look like he has an absolute sledgehammer of a left foot and is really creative as a passer. Um, Curious to see what path they take with him. Do they immediately put him into the first team picture or is he allowed to gonna come along in his own time? Um, he was briefly managed by Carlos Tevez for the last five months, but Tevez has resigned, citing the club's upcoming directorial elections. Um, he didn't do very well. I would imagine that some of the potential new directors uh, would be looking to bring in their own man. So that might be what that is. But uh, interested to see how this kid does. Brighton have done just a super job of stocking up on outstanding talent. You know, I mentioned N.C. So from what I've seen, he looks really, really gifted. Paicedo is an absolute star in the making. You look at the likes of Eve Busuma, you look at Kukarella, you look at Alexis McAllister, Tariq Lamptey, um Jacob Jakob, Jakob Motor, Kaspar Kozlowski. He he to me looks like he might be potentially the next big thing. Um they've just done such a good job at scouting and identifying talent. And there's, there's just so much they've been able to do and so many players they've been able to bring in, like Adringa, uh, Jensen Weir they picked up from Wigan, um, Abdullah Sima they brought in from Slavia Prague, another very, very talented player. Young Teddy Jenks looks a really good player. He's a local boy that they've brought through in their academy. He was at um, Aberdeen last year. He's a Crawley this season, and... I've been watching a little bit of him because obviously Crawley have in on loan from Liverpool, James Ballagizzi. So I wanted to see him and Jenks, to be fair, has stood out more. So the future is so bright for Brighton. And, you know, when you see them go and get a Deserby to replace Potter, that's for me a step up from where not necessarily from where Potter is now, but from where Potter was when they appointed him, definitely a step up. He's coming from Shakhtar. He'd been at Sassuolo. He'd done really well in in syria um they lose dan ashworth they already have in house a replacement ready for to go all their processes remain in place they're not dependent on one person this is why i say i think they might be the best run club in england right now tony bloom deserves all the credit uh we'll take a break at that and when we come back guy Drinkle will join us and we will go through this weekend's Premier League fixtures. See you soon. Right, welcome back. So we have 10 games in the league this week as usual, and I'm joined by Mr. Drinkle. How are you, sir?
0: I am a bit chilly, Dave. How are you?
1: Well, you do live in Iceland. So, I mean, what are you complaining for? You, you should be used to it's it at true. this point.
0: It's true. It is true. It is true. Uh, but we are back with football, um, unfortunately. This is the penultimate game before the World Cup break, or if you're in the League Cup, but that's the League Cup. Um, but we will start with Saturday at 3 o'clock, because the early kickoff you don't need it. Um, we have Leeds against Bournemouth first, Dave. Um, Leeds obviously got a huge win last weekend. Um, Bournemouth three losses in a row. I think you kind of called the... Uh, the Bournemouth return around, but it was obviously us cursing them with the Southampton game, but can, can Leeds build on that big win last week? They
1: have to. They really have to, because when you get a little bit of momentum behind you, you have to capitalise on it, especially with this World Cup break coming up. You want to get as many points on the board as you possibly can, and Leeds obviously have this opportunity against the team they should be beating to get another three points, and with Spurs away next weekend... They can't really bank on anything there. So this is their chance to get three points. Going into this one, Bournemouth have injuries to David Brooks, Lloyd Kelly, and Neto. All of them out until after the World Cup. And Leeds, Stuart Dallas, Sinistera, Adam Forshaw, they're all done till after the World Cup. And Archie Gray, they're hopeful he might come back in the midweek game in the Cup. I think they play Wolves. Uh, but at Elland Road, with a bit of confidence behind them, a fully fit Bamford, I think Somerville's going to be high with confidence after his goal at Anfield. I think there was a couple of really good performances in midfield on the day. I am going to back the Leeds win here. Like you said, Bournemouth really started to struggle again. Three defeats in a row like the the Premier League thing to happen here is for Bournemouth to win, but I'm going to go and say that Leeds win this game and just open themselves a little bit of breathing room on the bottom three uh, with a 2-1 home win.
0: Yeah, I think that would actually overtake Bournemouth as well if they did. It would also take over West Ham and Everton, um, as long as they don't win, obviously, or get a point. Um, But yeah, I think I'd agree with that one. Next up. I was going to say it's an interesting game, but I think everyone would say Man City should win. But I do kind of want to see Mitrovic and Cole up against Man City's defence, because, albeit I think most people expect Man City to win the league, they do look vulnerable at times at the back, and Mitrovic has been on fire this season. Mitrovic
1: has been tremendous this season. Fulham are the probably the biggest surprise package of the season thus far, sitting in seventh. Defensively, they're a bit of a train wreck. But they can score goals like they've scored more goals than Chelsea, more goals than United. Um, and considering the primary source is Mitrovic, you know, the others are clearly chipping in as well. You'd expect City to win this game because it's City, but you're right. They have looked vulnerable this season, particularly in defence. Um, Haaland, they hope to have back. Calvin Phillips, he's not back yet. They're sort of just waiting on him to be fully fit before they throw him back in. Kyle Walker is still out after groin surgery, as I said earlier, and Kanji should be okay after picking up a knock in the week. Uh, for Fulham, Manor Sol- Solomon's out till the end of January. Bobby D. Cordova-Reed is suspended, which is a blow because he's been playing quite well. Uh, Kurzawa is on his way back, probably not ready for this one. And unfortunately, Niskan Skibano is out for the season. Uh, with a torn Achilles. So that's a big blow to them. I don't expect them to get anything here, but I do think they'll cause City some problems. I just don't think they can stop that attack of City. So I'm going to say 3-1 to Manchester City. Uh, if Haaland gets to run a Tim Ream, it's going to be a long old day for the Fulham back line. So uh, we'll go 3-1 City.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that one as well. Uh next up, then an interesting one because Forest obviously couldn't build on the win over Liverpool last week, but that was obviously away to Arsenal. So their home form is obviously going to be key. And you would say the same about Brentford, who have basically stank up the place every time they've they've left their home ground. Um it's in Nottingham for it's in Forest. Um I don't think I'd be confident to say Forest. See this is a, well it should be a good opportunity. I won't make them favorites or anything but if Forest start winning these these games uh, well they should they're in trouble. Yeah, uh,
1: they're in trouble. you're right. Brentford's away form has been poor. 6 games away from home, 3 draws, 3 defeats and some of those defeats were heavy enough. Um I, They got walloped by Newcastle, they got walloped by Villa that's a concern because it's not like Villa are a particularly good team at the minute either. Now mm-hmm. going into the game, they've got a lot of injuries. Pontus Jansen, Strakosha, Hickey, Ivan Tony suspended. So where are the goals coming from? Um Norgard, not a hundred percent yet. Jensen's back. He'll be fine. A Charlie Good ruled out he wouldn't play anyway, but that's a lot of injuries to have. Um, for us, my concern is more is is Steve Cooper and what, what team he's picking right now. Now, Richards to follow Biancone, who unfortunately tore his ACL recently, Colback and Niakata are out. We probably won't see um Niakata before January, which is really strange considering he was initially meant to be back at the end of October. Mm. So that's a concern. And it means he's going to keep playing Steve Cook. And the guy just can't play. Like, when Liverpool played Forrest, you were screaming at them to shift the ball to the left and attack Aurier and Cook. And they didn't. They kept going down the other side time after time after time. And they made Steve Cook look like Costa Curta. And Aurier looked like Tassotti next to him. And, like, we've seen Aurier... Defend for years. He's not good at it. We've seen Steve Cook in the Premier League. He's out of his depth. And Liverpool made him look like an outstanding centre-back. But Arsenal, they realised the weakness. And they just went at those two over and over and over again. Tore them apart and scored five goals. Brentford can get at them. Because going down that side, you'll have Rico Henry and probably Johan Wiesel plays left side of the front three. So, or um, Lewis Potter potentially. Now, I'm curious to see what they do without without Tony, that's going to be a big issue. I'm going to go for the draw here, I'm going to go 1 1. I think it's going to be a bit of a stinker, to be honest, because Forrest just can't get out of their own feet. And with, with no Ivan Tony, I just think Brentford are going to be really blunt, but I don't mm. think and I, and I don't think Brentford are good enough to beat Forrest. And if Forrest continued to pick. Teams that aren't good enough to play in the Premier League, despite having more than enough players to put in place a good team. Like Lorik Bade and Joe Worrell are both significantly better than Steve Cook. I'd like to see Cooper go back to the back three, play Bade, Worrell, and McKenna as the back three, with Nico Williams and Renan Lodi as the wing backs play Gibbs, White, and Johnson off either of the Nigerian forwards that they have there, Awani or Dennis. i preferably go with Dennis in this one because I think his movement would cause a lot of trouble for that Brentford back line. Mm -hmm. And then whichever two he wants in midfield. For me, I'd be going Remu Freuler and Mangala, but Mm -hmm. Ryan Yates is playing quite well at the moment, so I can understand going with him. But for me, that team beats Brentford, man for man a better team than branford and beats them especially at home but it's i don't a, think he'll play that team
0: it's at least something to build up to after the world cup as well because i mean steve cook's going to still be steve cook after the world yeah. Cup. so That's I think the thing. And like,
1: if you look at forest they've got they've got Brentford and then palace at home now they ideally need four points from those two games to put themselves in a decent position coming out of the World Cup break. They're currently bottom, nine points, one point behind Wolves, two behind Leicester, and three behind the cluster of Southampton, Villa, and Leeds. I think they need four points for the next two games. I just don't think they'll get it unless he's braver with his team selections. Uh, I'm going to go the draw on this one, 1-1.
0: Yeah, almost screams of a nil-nil to me, because it'll just be dreadful. Um also screams of a nil-nil is Wolves against Brighton. Uh Brighton oh, used reeks up, of a nil. Uh, Brighton used up their yeah, goals for the uh, for the three months uh, against Chelsea last week, and Wolves contractually aren't allowed to do goals. Um because they have no striker or manager or have only two centre backs, except or hope. Yes. Um this is going to. This will be one of them where it's either five all or there's not a single shot on target.
1: Yeah, and I think I think I'd lean towards the not a single shot on yes. target. Uh, Wolves: No Chiquinho. Diego Costa suspended, uh, Matthias Nunes injured but could be okay for this one, but he'll probably get wasted up front or something. Uh, Toti Gomez, he's a, a doubt but might be back for the bench. Jimenez is out. Kalizic is out. Neto's out. These are not good, good signs for Wolves. But Brighton aren't without injuries themselves. They've got no motor. Veltman's a doubt. Obviously, poor old who had to retire. Uh, Danny Welbeck, they reckon he'll be okay to start, but he might just be on the bench uh, as they try and take care of him because, you know, they rely on Danny Welbeck, which is the one area that Brighton struggle with apparently is, is identifying number nines. Um, last week was the first win for Brighton under the new manager. And they've had a rough, they've had a rough start under him in terms of the opposition they faced. The performances have been generally quite good, mm-hmm. but you know, they played Liverpool, they played Spurs
0: and City
1: and Chelsea. So that's, that's a rough old go. Wolves just looked hopeless. In, not so much the last game where they got a draw, but the game before that. Jesus wept. Uh, horrendous performance.
0: Are they the team that needs the biggest January, by the way?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes, they've got to go in January and be aggressive. Like, if you look at them defensively, you've got Forest, Leicester, Southampton, Villa, Leeds. Oh, Leeds have see the same amount of goals. Uh, Bournemouth, Brentford, And Fulham have all conceded more goals than Wolves, but nobody has scored less goals. 13 games, they've scored six goals. Six. That is appalling. And if I'm not mistaken, Ruben Dia, Ruben Neves must have half of them, and he's their holding midfielder. I'm
0: guessing at least
1: two of them are penalties as well. Neves has three. Yeah, I think you're right. I think two of them are penalties. Pedence has two, and Adama Traore scored one, and that's it. That is the sum total of their goals in the Premier League this season, Um, which is just shocking, to be honest.
0: Do you reckon they're going to just recall Fabio Silva and that'll be it? That'll probably be it. They might have
1: to.
0: I don't know. They might not even have a recall
1: clause in his contract. Who else has they got out on loan? Um, nobody else that'd be useful. Nobody else that'd be useful.
0: I, I saw that like is, a couple of weeks ago they were using like Hugo Buena, who I thought was just a made up. I like, assumed pro, he was, yeah, like Evo, a placeholder kind of name. Yeah, I thought he was Pro yeah. Evo, like 05 character.
1: Um, in fairness, Fabio Silva has nine goals in 20 games this season for andalect 20 appearances now, not full games, which isn't bad and it's not exactly a great anderlecht team. Yeah. So that's not a bad return considering anderlecht currently sit 10th in the league.
0: He's doing fairly well. It's almost like that's where he should have been rather than spending 40 mil on him. Yes.
1: Yes, very much so. Um oh this is going to be a dull game. I I'm I, I'm going to go with the, I'm going to go 1-0 to brighton because I I just think they're a better team than wolves. So I'll go 1-0 to brighton.
0: Danny Welbeck tapping. You heard it here first. Um, Don't know why this is on TV, but well done, Sky. Um, Everton against Leicester. Cool. Um, Everton, I'm not going to check because I can't be bothered, but I'm guessing they're better at home because that's where they do stuff. And Leicester, uh, they've had a bit of a turnaround. Obviously lost to City last week, but that's what teams do against City. But two wins before that and a draw before that somewhat of a turnaround. I think getting the defence a bit settled with um, with Faze in the team, um, a bit more settled at fullback as well. Midfield looked a bit more settled with Samara actually getting chances, etc. now. So, yeah, a bit more settled team, obviously.
1: Yeah, for sure. And they've got – and Didi fit again now as well. So, it's only Ricardo Pereira and Ryan Bertrand definitely out. Johnny Evans it just kind of is week to week because he's an old man at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, they're getting players back and – being a bit more settled. Uh, Everton, Godfrey's back training, but he won't be fit till after the World Cup. Andros Townsend, the same. Um, He'll be back after the World Cup. And Yeri Mina, they're hopeful next weekend, but it won't be ready for this weekend. So they're getting everybody back as well. Um, Everton on TV two weeks in a row is an abomination because they're the worst team to watch in the league. The football is absolutely horrendous under Frank. Like it, it's generally a very, very, very deep block with three holding midfielders in front of them and then two wingers who drop in to form a five and then a striker up front all by his lonesome uh, and try and you know, play a bit of kick-and-rush counter-attack football. Leicester... We know play good football. We know Leicester have the firepower to go and carve this Everton team open with Madison and Barnes and Tielemans and Vardy and Iannaccio and Daka. There's good players there. Um, but like you said, Everton are a bit better at home. A bit better. They're not great at home, but they're a bit better at home. Defensively, they've been very solid because they put nine men behind the ball, mm-hmm. but they can not score goals. Either they've only got 11 goals in 13 games this season, which although Calvert Lewin against Imati or Siunchu, if Evans is out, yeah. I mean, if you can hang high balls up to him, the problem is there's no one in that team other than Dwight McNeil who would you look at and say, Well, he's a good crosser of the ball? I mean, Damari Gray doesn't really cross the ball as such, he tends to fire low balls across. Mm. Same with uh, Anthony Gordon. His crosses tend to be kind of low cutbacks. Harrison's a not pieces? a bad crosser.
0: Who takes their set pieces
1: nowadays? Uh, a mix of... of McNe- McNeil if he's on the pitch. Gray stands around them and kind of lofts them, but they're not good good balls in. Uh, and Wolby's taken a couple... That's kind of it. I think Michael Enko takes some of the free kicks, like to so, cross them in. So they need to
0: clone a younger version of Leighton Baines, is basically what we're saying.
1: Basically, yeah. Yeah, basically. I mean Luca Dini used to take all of them. Yeah. And then he left. And they
0: just need a they need a left backer to accept pieces. That's what they need.
1: That's kind of their, That's their, their brand. outlet for the Premier, the entire <laughs> yeah. Premier League era. They had Andy Hinchcliffe, then they had Leighton Baines, then they had Luca Dini. That that is basically Everton's jam. A left back as their main creative outlet. Um, now we can't say much. We have a right back as our main creative outlet, but it, he's a much better player than any of the three they've had. Um, they also had Michael Ball at one point. Now I remember seeing him take a corner on the left-hand side as a left-footer. It was going to be an outswinging corner, and he took it. And it must have gone. It must have gone six to eight yards behind the goal before it started to curl back in and it landed on the roof of the net. And then he looked furious at other players as if it was someone else's fault. Um, what are you talking about? Oh, Everton, what, Leicester? I, I am going to say, I am going to say, I can't see Everton scoring more than one goal. But Leicester are dreadful defensively. Now, they've been, obviously, like like you said, a bit better recently. I'll go the draw. I'll go a 1-1 draw. I ideally like both teams to lose um, because if both managers you just can't bite either of them. But I'll go the draw. I'll go
0: 1-1. And a 1-1 draw is a loss for everyone because you've wasted your Saturday evening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Moving on to Sunday and their 700 games, which seems to be the norm nowadays, we have a 12 o'clock kickoff on a Sunday, Dave, which disgusts me. Um, which is obviously televised because Chelsea and Arsenal couldn't do the Saturday. Um, so we have Chelsea Arsenal at at Stamford Bridge. I think I heard Arteta's not lost there in three games and he's won his last two, so maybe he's just found his not the whatever the hell the opposite of a bogey team is. Um Chelsea last week very stanky, midweek recovered somewhat, but a bit of a strange time at Chelsea because I think Potter's done well, but I, I don't I don't know. It just still feels odd that it's not Tuchel cool there, if that makes sense.
1: It does. It still does feel very, very odd. And right now they're dealing with a lot of injuries. So obviously Kante's out, he had surgery. Reese James is out, he had surgery. Um Wes Fofana is out. They're not getting any any of these players back till after the World Cup. Ben Chilwell's not going to play again before the World Cup. Kepa is out and he'd been playing really, really well. Finally had found his best form. Uh, Gets hurt and, you know, we saw what happened once he went off. Um, Or once he got hurt. I think he played on after getting hurt. Zakaria should be okay and Kovacic they're expecting to be okay in this one. But that's a lot of players to be out. That's... Realistically, if he's playing a back five and since he seems to be obsessed with Cucurella as a centre back, which he just isn't, that's three of his starting back five. He's got Cucurella and Coulibaly left because I think Potter would play Fafana, Coulibaly and Cucurella as his three uh, in front of Kepa. So he loses the goalkeeper, one centre back and then both wing backs in James and Chilwell. That's mm. a lot. And then you lose Kante from midfield as well. That's a lot to be without. Arsenal. Um, Tommy Asu's at doubt. And that's that could be a big blow because he's been really good, even at left-back. Uh Emil Smith-Rowe is taking uh, an extraordinary length of time. To... He has been injured for about a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he was meant to be out for three to four weeks. He got hurt at the end of September. We're now... Into November, and they're saying it's after the World Cup for him. I saw a picture of him the other day, and he doesn't look like he's in shape to play football either. So I, I I'm assuming whatever injury he has is limiting his ability to train in any way. Mm. Uh, Matt Turner's out as well; he's the backup goalkeeper, so who's really bothered about it. Arsenal are obviously in better form. Arsenal have had a really good start of the season but I think Chelsea are going to win this game even with the injuries I think Chelsea are going to win this game I don't know why there's no rhyme or reason to it even though they're at home Arsenal even though they're away rather Arsenal should go and win this game but I think Chelsea are going to beat them I think Potter from a tactical point of view is a lot smarter than Arteta who only knows how to play one way and that's the way Daddy Pep taught him so I'm going to go for a 2-1 Chelsea win I think Arsenal will struggle against pace and movement because their defence is a little bit clunky and a little bit heavy-footed. I'm going to go for 2-1 Chelsea when I think Sterling will cause them serious trouble here. And Arsenal... Now, that didn't mention Saka, but I don't think Saka's going to play.
0: Yeah, I was going to say,
1: I thought I heard he was injured. He's not listed on that, but I I think Saka's out as well. So, without Saka, with Gabriel Jesus not scoring goals the way he should be scoring goals at the minute with the amount of chances he's getting. You're heavily reliant on Martinelli and Mm. probably Reese Nelson if it's him to start. I'm going to go for a 2-1 Chelsea win.
0: Question. Does Abayang go full Adebayo? I
1: hope so. I really hope so. I hope he scores. Now, this has not been biased against Arsenal. This has been biased against Arteta. And as I've said, I already think I I think Chelsea will win the game. I hope it's the last minute Aubameyang winner, and I hope he goes over and celebrates in front of Arteta. Oh God! I just I it would be brilliant. It would be absolutely. It'd be chaos, and I like chaos. So here's hoping. Either that, or he gets a hat trick and goes over, and after the third goal, hands his shirt to Arteta and just strolls off down the tunnel. Potter looks around as if to say, "Where's he gone? I didn't sub him off."
0: Thing is, if oh. he, if Jesus doesn't score and Abayag scores one or two, every yeah. uh, talk spot. Oh, Twitter would <laughs> be great crap. <laughs> talk spot for two weeks. And be like, why did they get rid of Abayag? <laughs>
1: like, the thing is, Jesus is still playing well, and yeah. he's still adding to this Arsenal team because it's not just the goals. He does have six assists in the Premier League as well, uh, on top of his five goals, but he scored. Two against Leicester, one against Villa, one against Brentford. So there's four goals against bad teams. And then he scored against Spurs. He also got two assists against Leicester, one against Bournemouth, one against Liverpool, where he won the penalty with a dive. And he got two assists against Forest. He's not really performing in the biggest games. Like, he was decent in the Spurs game. I didn't think he was particularly good against Liverpool. I didn't think he was particularly good at all. I didn't think he Arsenal to, he
0: would, used to love playing against Liverpool as yeah.
1: well. Yeah. Like Liverpool were awful, which is what and the referee was appalling. That's why Arsenal won that game. He gave the three biggest decisions, all went to them. But he needs to step up in a in a big way for this one. This needs to be a big Gabriel Jesus performance. And if he if they get it from him, they can win the game. If they don't, I think Chelsea win it.
0: Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I think that's quite an open-ended game. That is that a
1: one. fun game, though. Yeah. I think that's going to be a really good game. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, moving on, then, we have Carl Matchett's fixture of the weekend in Aston Villa <laughs> against Man United. Uh, Ulay Emery's debut kept Carl's best mate. Um, Man United won last night. Yeah. Ronaldo threw a boo-boo again <laughs> all the time. Not tracking back, etc. cetera. Um, I'm sure I heard that Villa haven't beat United since 1995 or something like that. It might be like the most one-sided fixture in Premier League history or something like that. Is Unai Emery the man to change that, if that is correct, Dave? That doesn't sound. Is that right? Did they I, not beat them last season? I think that was the cup, wasn't it? That's the, oh, it might have been the cup. Let me see. Because I think it's when Hansen said you can't win anything with kids. Now they beat them last year in the league. They beat them. At, they haven't beaten them at home
1: since ninety five. Right. Okay. They haven't been. You're you right. They beat them at Old Trafford last season, and then lost their next five. And Dean Smith got the heave hole But they haven't beaten them at home since nineteen ninety five. Right. Okay. And I think yeah, it's the it's the, it's the famous Hanson game. It was at, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was the opening day of the season. And it was a 3-1 win for Aston Villa, who had signed like Mark Draper and Garrett Southgate in the summer. Let me just make sure I am right about this. Yeah. Southgate, Draper, Julian Jochim, or Joachim, who was a good player, and Savo Milosa. Milisa- Savo Milosevic. Yes, Savo Milosevic, who became known as Misalotsovich, Miflopovic, and a whole Fantastic. bunch of other things. Yeah, he he was a, a bit of a stinker. Um, that was a hell of a Villa team. You had Mark Bosnich, Gary Charles at right back, Paul McGrath, still incredible, with Southgate at centre-back and Ugo Ekjog back three. You had Alan Wright as a left-wing back. You had Draper, Townsend, and Ian Taylor as a midfield three. And then you had Milosevic and Dwight York up front and Tommy Johnson as an op, uh, an option off the bench. It's a really good Villa team. Where did they... Brian Little was the manager, if I'm not mistaken. He was. And Villa finished fourth in the league that season. Um, they beat United 3-1 on the opening day. Taylor, Draper and York scored within the first 36 minutes. And United had sold that summer... Ince, Kanchelskis and Mark Hughes and pushed forward all the Academy kids. So... Scholes, etc. cetera. Scholes, Beckham was kind of the one that was to replace Kanchelskis. Um, Scholes was the Mark Hughes replacement. Giggs was already established. Neville was kind of replacing Paul Parker at that time as well. And they had brought some... Nicky Bott was to be the... Paul Inster placement. And they got beaten. And Hansen made that statement. But what was ignored at the time was that United didn't have a team of kids. Those players weren't playing every single game. Mm. Those players were playing in fits and starts. And United still had a really experienced core. Like you still had Schmeichel in goal, you had Irwin, Bruce, and Pallister. Lee Sharp played a lot of games at left back that year with Irwin playing right back. You had, you had Cantona. Uh, Giggs had been around like three years at the time. You had Roy Keane was a young player at that point, but still experienced. Uh, Andy Cole. That was a that was a strong United team. I think they went on and won the double that year, didn't they? They did. They won Was the Andy Pre- Cole
0: there in 95? Yeah,
1: yeah. I thought he
0: joined, joined later on.
1: No, Andy Cole joined in the previous season, in 94,
0: 95. Yeah. And...
1: Um, the year Blackburn had won the league, Andy Cole was signed,
0: I think, midway through the season. I thought it was when you when they were fighting Newcastle on the bottom of his arrival. I must have been mistaken.
1: No, no. Cole was signed before Newcastle got really good because Newcastle signed Les Ferdinand. Mm. And that 95-96 season when United win the double, that's the year Newcastle should have won the title. And okay, okay. threw away like a 12-point lead. Cole signed for United January 1995 so in the 94 right, okay. season. Um they have yeah Villa haven't won at home since that that game. That is that is 27 years ago. Now obviously they spent some time out of the top flight but not a mm. whole lot. United have routinely gone there and spanked them. Um Villa have no Bubakar Camara, no Ludwig Augustinson and no Diego Carlos, but Luca Dina is back. So that's a big, big plus for them. United, no Bruno Fernandes. Anthony is injured. Oof. San- Sancho is ill. Remember last season Sancho seemed to get ill quite a bit. Uh, Martial is a major doubt. Brandon Williams, Axel Twinsaby and Rafa Varane are out. And obviously Mason Greenwood remains in prison. Um, so a tough time for United with a lot of those injuries. Who the
0: hell is he going to play behind Donny Vanderbeek? Maybe well, that guard actual lad might just keep his spot.
1: Uh, yeah, you could play him as the 10, you could play Rashford up front and maybe Alanga on the wing. But if Anthony's out as well, might be after Ronaldo, Ronaldo with Rashford. Donnie and Garnacho behind, or Rashford, Garnacho, and Alanga. It's not going to be good, whatever it is.
0: It doesn't sound pretty. They could no. play Ericsson as the 10. Yeah, and bring Fred, and play Fred and
1: in, in beside yeah. Casemiro. Go Rashford one wing, Garnacho the other, and Cristiano up front. That might be the play. Mm. Um, I am going to back. Good evening. Unai Emery at home. New manager bounce. I'm going to back Emery for the most Emery of 1-0 home wins. Beautiful. And then the Villa podcast to get really excited and proclaim him as the best manager in the world. Um, As they should. As they should. If you don't listen to the Villa podcast, do. Because it is absolutely great crack. Even if you're not a Villa fan. Last week after the Newcastle game, I genuinely laughed for most of the pod. Uh, Conan and Liam referring to Newcastle as Saudi Arabia. It's just the type of bitterness I can get on board with. I do wonder, will the podcast be nearly as good if Villa ever get good? Because when your team is bad, your content is a lot better because you can say more outrageous things. I mean, look at Goldbridge. Look at AFTV. No one cares about them now that they're winning. When they were muck, everybody watched because it was hilarious. Same with Goldbridge. If United ever get good, Goldbridge is out of business. Um, So, yeah, I I wonder what will happen if Villa ever get good. The lads might just have to retire and wait till they become crap again to, to make a comeback. But do listen to the Villa podcast. It's out twice a week now. They do a week. Uh, the game review is generally out Sunday or Monday, and then they do a Thursday pod, which is more a bit more general football. Uh, but obviously, with a bit of a Villa, a bit of a tint. They do anything.
0: just slag off Gareth Southgate, which is always fun. They
1: hate Gareth Southgate. They hate Pep Guardiola. Liam particularly hates Pep Guardiola. The one thing I wish is that Liam would tell us what he really feels a bit more often. I feel like he holds it back in a bit too much. Hmm. Just let it go. Just let's hear it. And Conan does a great job at winding them up with talk of what managers are wearing and fantasy football and different things that Liam has absolutely no patience for. So yeah, do do give the two lads a listen. Uh, anyway, one 0 to the Villa this weekend, an Unai Emery special, and I'm going to go for a Lucadinha cross, Ollie Watkins rising high, getting on the end of it, making an absolute mess of it. And Leon Bailey tapping in behind them.
0: <laughs> Sounds like the most Aston Villa thing I've ever heard. Um, moving on then to oh, this one this one is actually televised. Southampton against Newcastle. I just wasn't expecting that one to be on telly out of the ones that I picked it. Um we have no idea what Southampton will turn up, but I see Romeo Lavia isn't on the injury list anymore. That doesn't mean he's fit exactly, but it'd be interesting to see if he gets in the Belgian squad because he was really fun to watch. And, and Newcastle seem to, well, Newcastle and Jack Grealish have seemed to make the best player in the world in Miguel Amor.
1: Yes, yes, very much so. Uh, two bits of good news injury-wise for Southampton. Both Lavia back and Bella Kocha back as well, who was looking like an absolute Fantastic. star before he got hurt. Um, and, you know, like when the World Cup comes is over and football comes back, Tino Livermento is going to be pretty close to ready to go as well. Walker-Peters is out. That's a blow for them having him and Livermento out. So we'll see who plays right back in that one. For the Toon, uh, Isaac is out. Jolington is suspended. That's a blow. But Shar is fit. Wilson is fit. Elliot Anderson is fit. Darlow, Ritchie, Kraft and Dummett all ruled out. Newcastle are obviously on a roll. They've won, I think, five of their last... Six games, something like that. They've only lost once this season. They've got the best defensive record in the league. So you know what this means, guy. Given that Southampton are largely dreadful, the
0: taker of souls, taker
1: of souls, the taker of joy. I am going to go for the Southampton win. They've only won one of their last eight games. That was against Bournemouth. Prior to that, of course, they did beat Chelsea, which was mad, and Leicester. Um, I'm going to go for the Southampton win, just because it's Southampton, and because it's the type of thing that they do. They beat teams they shouldn't beat. They should have beaten Manchester United. They outplayed them. They beat Chelsea. They drew with Arsenal and and almost beat Arsenal. I'm going to go for the Saints win, two one
0: to Southampton. It's got Adam Armstrong all over it this way. <laughs> it's got
1: Adam Armstrong and a Callum Wilson hamstring injury written all over it, because Callum Wilson's starting to get a lot of buzz for the England squad. Oh, that'd be sick. and it would be the just it would be the most Callum Wilson thing ever to get injured at the wrong time. So I'm going to go two one Southampton.
0: Yeah, that'd be a real shame for Wilson because he is very good at the mid and probably is joint with Tony, the best backup, you'd say. Um, But anyway, we will discuss that another day. Uh, Another two o'clock kickoff. Um, These have all been two apart from the Chelsea Arsenal one. Uh, West Ham against Palace. Um, West Ham won last night with Mm. a bunch of toddlers, as you said. Uh, I have no idea how Crystal Palace are doing. That probably sums up how their season's gone. They have turned it around a bit recently. Yeah,
1: they're up to 10th. 3 wins in their last 5. Level on points with Liverpool. Playing pretty good football. I think even in their defeat. You no, know, they lost to Everton heavily. That was an awful performance. But you look at some of the results they've had lately. They lost at home to Chelsea. They should have won that game. Thiago Silva should have been sent off in the first half. He sets up the first Chelsea goal for Aubameyang. And then Conor Gallagher scores a worldie on 19, the last kick of the ball. But Palace were the better team on the day and should have won that game. They beat Leeds. They outplayed Leicester and should have got a win. Uh, They beat Wolves. They were awful against Everton. Genuinely terrible. Uh, But credit to Everton. Everton were very good that day. And then they beat Southampton 1-0 last time out. West Ham have been really disappointing this season. Like, not... As disappointing as Liverpool, but other than them and maybe Leicester, the most most disappointing team in the league so far, seven defeats in 13 Premier League games is really, really poor for a team with that much quality. Now, going into the game, um, Paqueta, they're hoping he's back. He's back in training. He's probably not ready to start, but could come off the bench. Fabianski has a knock to the knee. Ariola's the better keeper, and he should be playing anyway. So this might be a blessing in disguise for them. Max Cornet is probably not gonna be back till the midweek. Um so West Ham getting close to full strength. Palace always have injury problems. This week DeCure has a knock, Edward has a knock, McArthur and Richards are out, but you know, more and more players back fit again. It's a London derby. It's a Sunday kickoff, and that's always a little bit weird. I'm gonna go for the West Ham win because they're at home, but I don't love the pick. I, I think a draw is probably more likely, but I'll go. I'll go two one West Ham. I think it's going to be a very good game. I think I think Palace are a good team. I think West Ham can be a very good team if Moyes is a little bit braver. So I'll go 2-1 to West Ham.
0: Yeah, it should be a fun one uh, either way. Uh, Moving on to the last game of the week, and then we have Spurs against Liverpool, two teams who don't start playing football till the 70th minute. Um, So this should be fun. (laughs) Uh, Spurs have a bazillion injuries, as do Liverpool. Conte, we know, probably be happy with a draw. I wouldn't be overly upset with a draw as a Liverpool fan, to be honest, albeit we kind of screwed up the last two games, so we might need mm. to win. Um Yeah, I'm not sure if this will be mad or boring. Money's on boring, probably. Money is very much
1: on boring. If Liverpool had won their last two games, I would have been happy with a draw here because they'd be on 22 points. They'd be sixth in the league, only a point behind United. But because they lost both games to two bad teams, they need to win this one. They just need to win this one. They're already 10 points behind Spurs when it should only be four. They can't afford to lose this game. They're already 15 points behind Arsenal, 13 behind City and 10 behind Tottenham. Can't let that big a gap open up because if you do, you're only getting fourth and you've got to get back eight points on Newcastle, seven on United, five on Chelsea. Now, they do have a game against Chelsea that if they win, obviously, it changes the gap to two points. But Liverpool need to win. Spurs are not in great form. They're not playing particularly well. Their last two games, they've done very well to come back and win the games with kind of the last kick of the ball. But there were games that Spurs shouldn't have been in those positions in, in the first place. Mm-hmm. No young uh, min Son. No Richarlison. No Christian Romero. Kulisewski might be back on the bench, but, you know, if he is, he could get injured again in a heartbeat because that's just seemingly the type of player that he is at the minute.
0: Might miss the World uh, Cup for Sweden as well. No, well, that's it,
1: yeah. <laughs> Uh Liverpool have a lot of bad injury news. So, Jota out, Diaz out, we know those things. Uh, Matip is out. Naby Keita is out. Um, more bad news, Jordan Henderson is fit. Uh, but a bit of good news, James millner is not available to play. So those are good news things. I'm going to go for the Liverpool win. They're not playing well, but against bigger teams, they have shown up a little bit more recently. City, West Ham, Napoli. Now they were awful against Arsenal. But even at that, they should have won the game with a proper referee. They win that game because the first goal doesn't count because mm-hmm. sack is offside. And Jota wins a penalty for the blatant handball by Gabriel. And then Jesus doesn't get a penalty for diving, you know, and Liverpool win that game. But um So if you, if
0: you beat us, Spurs, you're a small team. So what do you want to do? That's what we're saying.
1: That's basically what we're saying here. Yeah. If you beat us, you are uh, confirming that you are a small-time team. Oh Christ!
0: We
1: play Southampton next weekend. <laughs> oh, we're That's, losing to them at, at home as at home as well. We're, we're losing them. Gonna be them. chaos. Southampton are getting back-to-back wins against Newcastle and us, and they're going to go into the World Cup delighted with themselves. Um, I'm going to go for the Liverpool win. I just don't see where goals are coming for from with Spurs at the minute with with, with just Kane. Like I know he's lethal, but mm-hmm. he needs supply and he can't
0: supply himself. I think more is even a doubt as well when that came out in the press conference as well.
1: Do you know? So where's the link between midfield and attack? I could see Conte going like uber defensive in this one. Like like almost 3-6-1, you know? Yeah. And just packing the midfield. And if he does that, I still think Liverpool can take advantage of them on set pieces. So which might be our only route to scoring at the minute anyway. I'm going to go 2-1. I think Darwin Nunes has a field day against that defence without Romero. Because without Romero, it's a slow defence. Dyer is slow. Lengley is slow. I think Darwin and Salah cause chaos with that back three. Back three. Um, 2-1 Liverpool. And that was the last game? And that was it. That is us then for the week. Uh, Hopefully everybody has a good weekend. Don't do anything foolish. Stay safe and we'll see you Monday. Bye-bye. Network.